Hello. It's a bit better. Hello, everyone. My name is Blair. Um, and today, I'm going to show a little bit about a decision that I've recently made um, and see how we can follow our journey through Colossians um, with that as well. So, uh, quite recently, I decided that I was ready to start thinking about asking the woman that I've been seeing for a few years to marry me. Yeah. Uh, it was a really... Uh, big decision for me because I'm not really a decision maker in that sort of context. I'm a little bit more um, of a commitment phobe, uh, according to various other people uh, in my life. Uh, But today I want to tell you a little bit about what happened when I made that decision. Um, I actually made the decision to start thinking about asking her to marry me. That was the real real big one. Uh, And I wanted to make sure that I was in the right place for that. I wanted to make sure that I was... um, in line with what God wanted. So I made some lists. I figured out exactly what she was like, her strengths, her weaknesses. Uh, I did a SWOT analysis. I don't know if you guys remember that from school. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, And I I listed all these things, and I wrote them all down, and I prayed. I spent a huge amount of time in prayer. I dug into the Bible. I looked at Scripture. I wanted to make sure that the decision that I was making was as accurate and correct, and that God was on board as much as he could have been. I ran these sort of risk assessments, for want of a better word, uh, and came up uh, with a conclusion after about six weeks. At that point, I bought a ring. Uh, It took me two more weeks to build up the courage to find a time to ask her this particular question. Um, And I was staying in Portsmouth at the time. And one Saturday, Rachel had come up to see me, and uh, I said, babe, let's go for a nice walk. And she goes... What? You crazy? Apparently it was too late, 8 o'clock or something. It was winter, so it was dark. Anyway, I said, doesn't matter, I didn't want to ask you anything anyway, it's fine. So the next day, Sunday, she's about to leave, um, half past four, so it's a long drive to get back here, so she's about to leave. Half past four comes, I said, babe, come on, let's go for a walk. Reluctantly, she goes inside, puts on her scarf, so shoes on and her long trousers, and um, we head over to this quarry that overlooks Portsmouth. And you can see Portsmouth in front of us here, Southampton to the side, and it's dark about five o'clock now, and the Isle of Wight in the background. The conversation goes on, um, and I find myself in the position of having an opportunity to ask her. You know, I wanted it to be subtle. It's worth knowing that two weeks earlier I'd said, hypothetically, if someone was to ask you to marry them now, what would you say? And that was met with a no. So this was no man's land for all of us involved at this point. Um, Also useful to know that as an engineer, I build redundancy into everything. So I'd uh, I'd spoken to her at great depth, about what she wanted for a wedding. Not necessarily if she was getting married to me, just, you know, what does your ideal wedding look like, ignoring the person? And she said that summertime was the, day that she, uh, the time that she wanted to get married. And I was thinking about myself, and I thought, I don't want to wait two or three years to get married. So the next summer, it was in like eight months or nine months' time. So I need to sort of get a shift on with this. So I decided, I figured out how long I wanted to prepare for a wedding, what was reasonable, what was not reasonable, and then I built a little bit of a buffer there, so I didn't only have one opportunity to ask, I wanted to give myself some time, so just in case it wasn't right, I didn't want it to be forced, and just in case I chickened out a little bit. So um, I knew that this particular time, this was the first weekend of three that I could have done it, so I wasn't particularly stressed. Anyway, the opportunity arises, and I'm stood in front of her, um, and I get down on one knee, and... I pop forward a question, will you marry me? And in that moment, I kid you not, time appeared to stop. It felt like an eternity. And the thing that was going through my head wasn't that 
crumbs, I'm vulnerable here, I've put it all on the line. Even though that was the case, the thing that was occurring to me was it had taken me six weeks to get to a place where I thought, okay, I'm ready to ask this question. I'd done risk assessments, I'd written lists, I'd meditated, I'd prayed about it, I'd made sure that God was on board. I'd said, God, is, like, I'd, I'd asked him, and I'd, I'd spent the time listening. You know, I, I hadn't sort of prayed and then gone. I prayed, and then I'd waited for a response. I'd spent time listening and meditating to make sure that I was in the right place. What pressure she must have been in in those seconds as I was down there waiting for an answer. How do you make a decision like that? How can you make a decision that has such significant implications? You know, once that question is out there, the relationship has changed. If you say yes, you're getting married. That's big, right? If you say no, you know, you have to call into account, is the relationship going to go on? What's happening here? The relationship that we'd had was different as soon as that question had been asked. If she didn't answer, if she said nothing, that leaves us in a no-man's land. What, 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 what's going on? How does, how does that work? I think it's crazy that people are expected to make decisions like that. But we all face decisions in life. All of us have these big decisions. Can you think of a time that you've had to make a decision that is so significant, that has such a big impact on where you are going to be tomorrow, in the next day, in the next 10 minutes? The things that matter always seem to be so complicated. There are a lot of variables. There's a lot of risk for hurt, especially when it comes to the important things. You know, some decisions are easy to make. I know if I want to lose weight, I need to go for a tuna salad as opposed to camembert on crackers. Some decisions are a bit more difficult. I know that um, if I want to buy a house or buy a car, I need to account for more variables. You know, it might require a spreadsheet. <laughs> Other decisions are very important. They are huge. They are life-changing things that we find ourselves coming up against. You know, these decisions and choices that involve friends, that involve family, that involve what we believe, our faith. How do we make these decisions? What do we look to? Do we use the media, Hollywood? Do we judge what the characters in the films do as the right way to do stuff? Do we use our parents, mentors, close friends, where do we get our wisdom for these major life choices? This morning we're going to follow um, our path through Colossians. We're going to be looking at Colossians 1 verse 24 and follow that through to Colossians 2 verse 5. And we'll see what Paul says to the church in Colossae about something along these lines. So, now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among, among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, Paul says, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. 
My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and, wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may, be, uh, no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is. What a cracking passage. That I would have loved to have received a letter like that from Paul. How encouraging. So it's pretty radical in what this tells us. It took me a little bit of digging into this to sort of get some stuff out of it. But I tell you what, um, we're going to cover three things today. And I hope that this will all combine to help us in how we make a decent set of decisions. So, first thing that I want to talk about, Jesus is the mystery of God. Yeah, what does that mean, right? So, I had a little look. There's, there's a couple of things that this can refer to. Um, the mystery of God. At the time, the Jews, the Israelites, thought that Jesus was going to come and he was going to save them. Jesus came and he saved all of us, right? It was open to the Gentiles as well. If we believe in Jesus, we will have eternal life. Um, But perhaps what this passage is referring to is the mystery of Christ being the unknown, the unexpected, yet the obtainable Christ coming and being inside of us. He's not just a vessel that's sort of in the room when we're at church. He's not someone that we're worshipping far and far away. Jesus Christ, when he comes down and when we accept him into our lives, he occupies us. He comes into our spirits. And this is super important for the stuff that we're going to say later. Jesus lives in us. He makes his home in our hearts. Now, the second thing that I want to talk about is Jesus giving us power and strength. Now, if we look at the book of Judges loosely, we might be able to identify a correlation between length of hair and rate of power output. Of course, I'm referring to Samson. Unfortunately, I don't think that we all become Samsonites as soon as we accept Jesus into our life. Instead, I believe the power and strength that Jesus gives us is to do his will to be obedient in the times that we think it's too hard, to walk the plan that he has outlined for us, and to trust him in the circumstances beyond our control. As Paul was writing uh, this, he says he was acquainted with suffering and contending, but also aware of Christ's power in him. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because sometimes I think the magnitude of the power of Christ is sometimes underestimated. You know, we're talking about the power of Christ turned water into wine. We're talking about the power of Christ that healed leprosy, something that takes a year on antibiotics to sort of get under control at the moment. We're talking about the power of Christ that cured blindness, restored sight, Guys, this is the power of Christ that raised people from the dead. This is the power of Christ that has conquered death. The mystery of Christ is that Christ is in us. We have this power available. I'm going to read you a little passage from Mark 15, uh, verse 31 and 32. Because I think this also demonstrates the power of Christ so well. Likewise, also the chief priests mockingly said amongst themselves with the scribes, he saved others, he cannot even save himself. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. It says that even those that were being crucified with him 
on the cross with him were mocking him as well. Man, it struck me as I was, talk- as I was preparing this, the amount of pain that he must have been going through. Crucifixion. The word excruciation, uh, excruciating comes from out of crucifixion. The word that we use to demonstrate excruci- uh, excruciating pain, the, I don't know, archetypal word, comes from crucifixion. It was designed as a method by the Romans to disincentivize people from committing the most heinous of crimes. It was painful. It was drawn out. Some people were crucified for days. I found myself on the Wikipedia page for crucifixion, and I, I honestly wished I hadn't, I hadn't ventured there. He was mentally abused. He was humiliated, stripped naked and bare, told to carry this weapon of impending death through Jerusalem. Mocked at, spat at. And let's not forget that Jesus was spotless, right? When he was on the cross, he carried the weight of humanity's sin. Not only all the people that had sinned up to that point, all the people that were ever going to sin in every sin. The amount of strength that Jesus had to stay there, to stay on the cross. We know that he could have got down. The amount of strength and power that he had to stay on there. The love that he had for us so that we would be able to be saved, to fulfill the prophecies. Man, guys, the power of Christ, the mystery of Christ. I think there's an implication to this power of Christ as well as something that we need in our lives. I don't believe that we would be told that we have it as an extra resource. Oh, it's there if you need it. That's, that's not what I believe Paul was saying. I think that the plans, the destinies that we each have, the unique plan that we have in the grand scheme of God has a requirement for the power of Christ. It might not be as big as that, though. You know, all of us have our struggles too. I hurt my leg last Wednesday playing rugby. Um, some younger, fitter, faster person was running away, and I thought, oh, I'll show this young whippersnapper. And uh, something did snap. So, uh, not ideal. But other people have it worse. You know, perhaps we struggle with mental illness. These are things that we need the power and the strength of God to overcome on a daily basis. The promise of the passage is Christ is still with us, even if we don't feel his presence. The promise is also one of hope, even if we don't feel it. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We need to hold on to this. So the third thing that we're going to talk about is that Jesus, in Jesus is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. Uh, and complete understanding. Now, this is done for us to know fully the riches and the mystery of Christ. This is the part of the relationship that we have with the Lord, part of that two-way street that we walk down where we can communicate with him, we can talk to him, and we can listen to what he has to say. But the treasures of, the wisdom, and, uh, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge being hidden in Jesus isn't saying that as soon as we become a Christian, we have this Wikipedia or Encyclopedia Britannic download into our minds. It's not saying that we become you know, the rain man. It's, it's not saying that we become as wise as Solomon as soon as we become a Christian. Now, in my mind, it's more like a student going into school or someone going to university. You know, they walk into a library and there is this huge wealth of information around them. 
They don't know everything as soon as they go into the library, but if they take a book off the shelf, they dig a little deeper, they press in. That's when they get this knowledge. By building relationship and digging deeper and spending time with God in the quiet place, by being obedient to the little things and showing love to everyone, we will slowly learn to behave the way that Jesus behaved. With the help of the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus being in us, we will slowly see ourselves becoming wiser. The mystery of Christ is that Jesus is inside us. We have access to this, guys. Jesus is the word of God in all its fullness. He reveals what God is like. The mystery that was hidden has been revealed. And that it is that Christ doesn't just give us information, but comes to live in us to help live the godly life. The more time we spend in his presence with him, the more we are able to draw from this wealth of hidden knowledge. And it's not like there is a a gatekeeper, someone saying, you, you've spent 30 minutes with God today. You can have some knowledge. Sorry, sir. 25 minutes, come back. Can you join the back of the queue, please? That's not, you know, this isn't the way that this works. The way that I know how someone likes a cup of tea is by the number of cups of teas that I've made them. That's how I know that someone likes this. You know, oh, I like it a bit sweeter. Oh, no, I know that actually they don't want sugar, they want a couple of sweeteners. That's, that's where this comes from. The more time that we spend talking to God and the more time we spend listening to God, the more we can identify exactly what his voice sounds like. And when we know what his voice sounds like, that's when the real magic happens. Now, I can hear someone in the room saying, Blair, I hear what you're saying, but come on, let's get real. If in Jesus is hidden all wisdom and knowledge, why doesn't Jesus just give us the information that we need when we need it? And whoever was thinking that, top points. That's very good, and I'm glad that you raised it. I'm going to share a testimony about uh, someone called Matthew McPherson. Um, he was an entrepreneur in the States, and he shares this story about how the Lord told him that he was going to cover him in business in order that he would continue a ministry. So my understanding is that our, uh, when he was a little bit younger, he, he led a men's conference somewhere. I believe it was a men's conference. And he paid for his own hotel. He paid for his travel there. He stayed there. He paid for his own food. And at the end, the congregation managed to draw together $15 to cover these expenses. And Matt said, Lord, I really want to do your work, and I'm totally for doing your work. Um, unfortunately, I can't run in red. Or if I am going to run in red, can you just sort it? Um, I, you know, you're, you're my priority. Just let me know how this is going to work. Um, and Matthew recounts a conversation he has with the Lord, saying he heard God say, I know the solution to every problem in the world. If only men would ask me, I would give them the answers. And I mean, we know that all things come from God. Like, it makes sense that God knows the solution to every problem in the world. He says he fell to the floor and he cried out, uh, the burdens on his heart. He says he told the Lord he feels like I'm being led into archery. Uh, It's a childhood hobby that he had. He said, I feel like I'm being led into archery. Um, Please give me ideas for better bows. Very specific. He, you know, he's listening to what God had said to him and he responded to that. He recounts two weeks later that he wakes up in bed, sitting bolt upright. He starts to get a vision. His wife sat next to him, and she says, Crumbs, Matt, what's going on? What are you doing? And he says, I don't know. I think I'm having a vision from God. Let me go write it down. I can see this bow in front of me. I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to see if this makes sense to me in the morning. And if it does, then I'll know it's from God. Matthew's bows, so we started a company of this. Matthew's bows are now the largest bow manufacturer in the world. 
I don't know, maybe the more musically inclined amongst us might have heard of McPherson Guitars. Um, he also founded that company, very prestigious. Now, I was gobsmacked when I read this. I spent probably about an hour looking through different YouTube videos, watching his testimony on different sources. You know, it wasn't the same video pasted. Did an independent search on the largest bow company in the world. It's Matthew's bows. Guys, the God we serve is living and active today. This is one story, but there are others. He is working in lives around the world in this day and age, and things get changed. I want to say that again, guys. Things get changed. God gives us wisdom and complete understanding. We can make our own decisions, but we are called to lead by example, to show those closest to us, our friends, our family, our work communities, who Jesus is, what faith in Jesus looks like. We need the wisdom of Jesus in our lives so that we do not fall for these fine-sounding arguments. Arguments appear well-formed or well-articulated. You know, things that, things that plant seeds of doubt in your mind. Oh, you know, the four Gospels, not, they don't even match. They're not even identical. How can you believe that? Or, oh, come on, man. You know, science has disproven that ages ago. These may sound like, oh, oh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, This. We need to examine the evidence. Now it's not the time. <laughs> As Christians, we know that Jesus is the word of God in its fullness. Every day we come up against challenges to our way of life. But there is nothing that Jesus does not know. There is no question he cannot answer. And there is no call that goes unresponded. Jesus wants to be close to us. He is not hidden. And guys, he is not dormant. We need to trust him with the decisions that we make. Even the small daily bites. The ins and outs. That's how we can learn to know his voice, by bringing him into those mundane decisions, you know, the little things. Um, I recently went to a funeral for a close family friend. Uh, actually, he was a close childhood friend. We, he, was one of, he was one of the people that I met when we first moved away from London. We moved down to Devon when I was about eight, and my mum and his mum became very close friends. He was a few years older than me. Over the years, he became um, my church pastor. I followed him to secondary school, followed him to university. I even did the same degree as him. Um, and uh, as, as I was sitting there, um, as his tributes came up, he had, he had a slot. Or they, this family decided that at his funeral, they'd have a slot where people could come up and just share testimony about, about his life. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, man, this guy had such an impact in my life. The amount of love that he poured into me, the amount of time that he gave me, the wisdom that he possessed. And then I was thinking, he must, be, he must have been one of those people that I counted one of my closest friends. Is, uh, at his funeral, there were about 400 people. Two hours of testimony came up, I, I suspect between 20 or 30 people. And I was flabbergasted at how many people shared the same thing. The amount of love that he poured, not only into me, but into these 20 other people, and for all I know, the other 400, the light that he was in the communities that he had, the pillar of love, how reliant. There were things that were done in the secret place. People shared about how he supported them financially, and he said, I just heard God telling me to do this this morning. It's God's money anyway, right? Got me thinking. What do I want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for my obedience. I want to be remembered for uh, being a pillar of light in a community. I want people to look at me, and I'm not, I'm not there yet. 
want to be remembered for people looking at me and seeing who Jesus is. You know, it's the standard, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is, but I want to explore that. When I get to heaven, I want to talk to Jesus and I want to say, my king, I did everything that I think that you asked me to do. If I didn't hear you correctly, I'm so sorry. If I did the wrong thing, please know that I was doing it because it's what I thought you wanted me to do. I don't want to get to heaven and Jesus said, dude, you had this opportunity and you missed it. Oh, Blair, there was this thing that you could have done and this was going to be a game changer. But you were too busy playing Xbox or whatever. You're too busy playing rugby or, you know. I want to be remembered for being a yes man for the kingdom of God. What do you want your legacy to be? Thanks for sticking with me. I forgot to start a timer, so I have no idea where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> I didn't finish my story earlier. So um, when I asked Rach to marry me, she, unlike, oh, I say unlike any other woman I know, I know one other woman who did this, and that was my mother. She, um, she decided to take some time. She went away, and guess what she did? She made some lists. She prayed. She did a SWOT analysis. <laughs> she risk assessed. She looked at the things that she was really good at and the things that I wasn't so good at. And she made sure that these things, they worked together, that we were compatible, that it wasn't just an emotional thing. She looked at if this was something that was going to be prosperous, if she would help me in my walk with God, and if I would help her in her walk with God. She made sure she was content with God, uh, that God was on board before she gave me an answer. She went to God for wisdom on what to do, how to make this decision. And somehow she said yes. <laughs> Guys, we have a job. And it's a simple job, right? We need to introduce Jesus to the people around us. We need to facilitate the introduction of Jesus to those that are in our immediate circles and, are further, and further afield, Right? To create an environment in our lives that facilitates the simple introduction of the Spirit to those that we are close to. When I get to eternity, I want everyone that I've ever met to be there. I don't want to get there and think, oh man, well, you know what? He was a bit of a tool anyway. You know? Everyone that I've ever met deserves Jesus, and it is our responsibility to push that agenda. Christ teaches us how to be with all wisdom. With dynamism, dynamism, dynamically, I've written it, that's what I should have said. You know, that means that things change. We can get personal revelation. The Bible is the ultimate resource that we have. We can see precedents that have been set and we can see what Jesus did. We can follow exactly what he did, how he acted. But we all have a different path to walk. We all have a different plan. God gives us the information that we need to fulfill our part in the grand plan. God knows the solution to every problem that we come across. If only we would just ask, he would give them to us. We don't need to rely on our own experience. We don't need to rely on other people's experience to make these decisions. We don't need the answers to life's problems. We just need Jesus. As we lead into communion now, uh, I think it would be great if we can have a little, th- just a little like introspection, a little think. Is there a part of our lives that we need the wisdom of Jesus for?
Is it a situation? Is it a total aspect? Is it a life overhaul? Is it a change to the way that our decision-making process goes? Where do we look for information? Do we use the media? Our books, personal experiences? Matthew McPherson sought the wisdom of Jesus for his entire career and his entire life. Let's not limit ourselves.